The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Father Joseph Sund. Hi, Father. How are we doing? Very well, thanks. And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Dom. Folks, we want to remind you about some other shows that are on the, the network that you're sure to enjoy, including The Secrets of Doctor Who. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who. So we wanted to you know, jump right into today's topic. It's not the usual lighthearted fare that we're sometimes known for. Uh, this one is probably going to give you some uh, some bad dreams. We're t- going to talk about killer robots. That's right. Uh, the, the There's been, of course, as, especially as the war in Ukraine has, has dragged on a little bit here over the past few months, we've seen how the application of some of this technology uh, you know, in warfare is kind of concerning. And this has been concerning some folks for a while, including the Pope and uh, various other theologians, the Vatican, who are warning us about the potential problems related to autonomous lethal weapon systems or lethal autonomous weapon systems. They they have an acronym. Everything has an acronym called LAWS. Uh, and so uh, there's been this push to regulate or ban uh, use of artificial intelligence and autonomous weapons. Uh, an autonomous weapon is one that can target and fire without getting uh, having a human being uh, sending the message. So, for example, like the drones we have now, there's a, usually an operator somewhere in the Las Vegas desert outside of Las Vegas uh, flying it remotely and pulling the trigger, whereas the autonomous weapon systems they make the decision. This is my target. I'm going to attack it and destroy it. And that's the big, big difference. So uh, just you know, to get started with this, um, any thoughts in, just in general about this topic, uh, Victor or Father? What do you think? I'm against it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the only the only case I'd be for something like this is if we completely outsource the business of fighting wars to fully autonomous like you know, drones and robots and just leave the human beings out of it. Um, you know, like maybe cordon off like five square miles in the desert or something and let the, the drones fight it out. Right. But, but yeah. no, I mean, it is, it is, I mean, it's, it's a terrifying prospect and, you know, by some miracle we haven't been faced with, you know, some horrible situation yet uh, resulting from, you know, autonomous, uh, you know, drones or, or uh, weapons of, of that sort. But um, you know, as, as they say, it's probably only a matter of time. Yeah. How about you, Father? Uh, th- initial thoughts on this? Um, I'm thinking of Doctor Who and the Cybermen. <laughs> right. <laughs> you will not- be assimilated. <laughs> yeah. Cybermen and the Borg. Um, well, and so the you share with me, Victor, a video uh, that, that you came across on YouTube of somebody. You know, everyone I think remembers the uh, Boston Dynamics robot dogs that they had a while ago. The, the these, you know, dystopian dogs that can open doors and that sort of thing. Well, someone put a machine gun on it. Yep, that's right. They put a, <laughs> they mounted a machine gun on it, and there's a picture, there's a video of it at uh, you know a, 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 in a shooting range, shooting targets with it. Now, this particular. The, you know, video is not all that scary in the sense of it doesn't do a very good job of it. And it's it stands about 10 feet away from the target in order to hit it. But it it's the it's the promise of what's possible. That is really scary. The idea that um, it might not be that hard to make the leap to something more scary than that. Uh, so and then uh, there was also another video uh, or article about uh the fact that Ukraine in its fighting against this much larger foe of Russia has developed a, what someone called a mini Terminator 
it's a tracked ground robot equipped with a machine gun. Now, this is a little different in that it's con- remotely controlled, although it can do some autonomous things. Uh, but it has a machine gun, and it's it's got a cable that runs out the back of it to an operator, but it's more autonomous than, than previous things. So it does seem like the temptation is there for these, for, for various people involved in warfare to start doing this, to start putting this stuff out there. Like all the, I guess what I'm saying is all the tools are there and now they're just going to start integrating them. So what can we do? Yeah. The the tools are there. And more importantly, the financial interest is there, you know, on the part of, you know, weapons manufacturers and stuff and big tech who have been developing these AI systems and these, semi-autonomous weapon systems, you know, and to justify their research, you know, to sell these to, to people who would be interested in, in having that. And, you know, you could say, well, they would only be doing it, you know, for legitimate governments, but once the technology is out there, you know, it's out there. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like landmines, you know, which, which are kind of a passive version of, of these same kind of like semi-autonomous weapons. They just, you know, sit there. And if you know where they are, you can avoid it. And other people can come in and pick up the landmines. But this is more kind of like an active, you know, minefield waiting, waiting to happen, if you will. (laughs) Right. Imagine a minefield where the mines uh, move around on their own and can target specific individuals. Uh, That's essentially what we have. And, you know, they can be used against um, soldiers, but they can also be used against civilians. I mean, that's the, the, the scary thing. Uh, there's an article I'm going to put in the show notes from Catholic News Service talking about a discussion in 2021, several different discussions, including Pope Francis coming out and talking about the potential for these scary weapons systems, the autonomous weapon systems. And one of the folks involved said, Basically, you know, the bottom line is you can't outsource life and death decisions to a machine. And that applies in a lot of different areas of technology, medicine, uh, you know, uh, uh, regulation of food sources, all kinds of stuff. We, we cannot get into this mode where we think we can outsource decisions related to life and death to machines or machine learning algorithms or AI or whatever, however you want to phrase it. And that's that's. That's the red line, I think, right? Am I am I uh, am I in target with that? I mean, is, is this the red line, the one we should not cross? I think we had this discussion a while back. Um, yep. Trying to remember which um, topic that was on, but where we were going into that discussion of of AI and the fact that AI can't make those human decisions, right? Um, yeah, that's come up actually several times in our, in our show. Uh, this this question of uh, AI and its implications uh, in, you know, the fact that it is not capable or should not be capable of making these decisions because it, uh, it does not have a moral sense. It's really, it's, it's morality is whatever it's programmed to be, uh, to consider it. Um, and yeah, like we, we had talked about this in relation to uh, uh, cars, uh, autonomous yeah. vehicles and how yeah, does a, that's right. an yeah. autonomous vehicle you know, when it's approaching a situation, the trolley problem, it's, you know, swerve left and kill that person, swerve right and kill that person. Well, how does it decide? And the fact is, is it decides based on a criteria programmed into it. And that's not something that a machine should be left to decide. Um, so we there's a video, another video I'm going to put in the uh, in the show notes uh, titled Slaughterbots. And this came out five years ago. And I, I, I remembered it when we started talking about this and I, and I just found it before we started and it made a huge impact on me. And what it is, it's from this organization that is opposed to autonomous weapons. And it's done in a, in a style that's like a, a documentary style where it's like a, almost like a compilation of news broadcasts and people's uh, FaceTime calls and some other things like that. And basically starts with a live stream from some like Apple, like keynote of this weapons manufacturer that's showing off its new swarm bots. And it's basically their mini drones, each carrying a small explosive that can be programmed to attack a specific target. And, or, you know, based on either an individual or on criteria like race or sex or uh, what kind of uniform they're wearing or that sort of thing. And, oh, what a wonderful revolution it is for destroying the evil bad guys. And then it switches to 
you know, showing these headlines of the, you know, the, the information leaks out onto the internet. Uh, terrorists now have this, this data and, oh no, someone attacked this, you know, the Capitol building and 11 senators of one party are dead and, you know, the others aren't. And who did this? And it just gets worse and worse and worse. Like the, the, the scenario goes, escalates and escalates. And, you know, thousands of people are being slaughtered by slaughterbots, these drones that, you know, swarm. At one point, the guy, the guy was like, we could drop 100,000 100, of these little drones out of the back of an airplane over a city and we kill the bad, just the bad guys, the bad half of the city. Like, what? it's insane but there are people who think like this i'm thinking of this if you combined it with um remember when we had um afghanistan and the data of the biometric data that got out oh that's right with afghanistan if you couple that together that that's a pretty scary um moment to be in Right. Uh, what you're remembering is, is when we pulled out of Afghanistan, this database got left behind that contained all the biometric data on all of the Afghan people who helped the Americans, who were cooperating with the Americans and uh, helping our, our mission there. And uh, that that's, <laughs> yeah, you're right. If combine that with these drones that could the seek, seek them out wherever they are, that's a pretty scary prospect. Uh, so, the two different kinds of weapons we're talking about here, there's both weapons that can supposedly target individuals and weapons that are designed for mass effect. So you could, you know, have like a smart bomb essentially that goes after an assassinate one person. Uh, But then you have, you could have ones that are just drones that just swarm any person. They release them in, in, you know, terrorists release us in the middle of a city and, Hundreds of them go after people everywhere. Um, both are pretty scary. You know, I, I don't think it, the problem here is just the drones that attack mass. Like, I think a a drone that a, an assassin drone is just as bad. I, you know, are, are you I mean, what do you guys think? Is that am I off base? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's, you know, as as a as a human individual, you know, existentially, it seems a lot worse to be chased down or hunted by a by a drone versus, I mean, even, you know, someone drops a, a nuke on a city, you know, you don't take that personally necessarily, but if somebody's sending uh <laughs> killer drones after you, that's, that's, I mean, a very upsetting prospect. And mm-hmm. you have to wonder, you know, what kind of countermeasures are there that would be effective against this? And, you know, hopefully law enforcement has them, but, you know, as, as a regular citizen, you know, anything like, you know, radio signal jammers or, you know, laser you know, defense grids or whatever, those would be illegal for citizens to own. So, you know, what, right. what effectively is your defense against like maybe a baseball bat, right? Like in the movies where they you build, build a mesh <laughs> yeah. net over your home and don't leave. Yeah. Faraday cage. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's an importance that we have a society that's built up that agrees on something. Right. And yeah. it seems more and more, especially now that we're, at odds with each other. And so that kind of puts a scary theme when we don't have that um, idea idea of solidarity in the world as much as we once did. Mm. Um, the fact that we can we come to an agreement as countries that this is an area we shouldn't be going into. Well, this is one of the pushbacks on the on the idea of an international ban on this sort of technology, which is it's the usual one, which is sure, you know, the good countries will ban it, but they'll but other countries, rogue states, let's you know, North Korea probably <laughs> foremost among them on everybody's list, but even like maybe China and other ones like that, will continue to develop it, even though there are international agreements against it, and that will leave us you know, uh, at, at their mercy. I mean, that's sort of the, it's the whole balance of terror, weapons of mass destruction argument again. Uh, but it is that, but, and, and actually as one person in the article, the, the, the Catholic news service article points out, you have problems of verification and transparency. So how do you, how would you verify like, okay, we've agreed to ban this. Okay. No one's going to have killer drones. How do we verify that? You know, that's, you you can't. This drones will still exist. AI will still exist. Uh, so the the idea is you'd have to stumble upon one of these little 
killer drones somewhere, and that would be have to be your proof. I mean, how do we verify that there were weapons of mass destruction, right? Well, nukes are nukes are easier. I mean, they're bigger. It takes a lot of infrastructure to build them. Very specialized infrastructure. You can't you can't just uh, refine plutonium in your backyard, you know, unless you're the radioactive boy scout, which is a whole nother thing, but you know, (laughs) you, uh, you know, so it takes some infrastructure. So it's hard to hide that sort of stuff. I mean, it's possible, you know, we've seen that Israel has probably developed nukes and North Korea may have developed nukes, but it's, it's harder to hide that with a killer drone. That'll fit a closet. You could put thousands of them, you know, (laughs) it's, it's it's a lot easier to build. And it's, and yeah, and you're right. It is something any like high school STEM, STEM class could build, right? And you're never going to criminalize, you know, the ownership of Arduinos or Raspberry Pis or servo motors or the the things that you would need to build something like this, you know. So it is once once the technology's out there, it it just becomes. So it would be good, I think, to see more people, you know, actively condemn this sort of thing. But again, you're right. It it won't stop the bad actors from from being yeah. bad. Victor, you put another twist on it because we're talking about state actors is what we were immediately thinking about. But what about individuals? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's probably even scarier um, when you think of just individuals being terrorists or um, being stupid. Um, And when that enters into society, that is a lot scarier than a state that... Um, you're going to have at least some form of government oversight of countries. Right. I mean, just imagine the 21st century Unabomber, right? Ted Kaczynski uh, was, his reign of terror was was with package bombs. You know, he mailed them to scientists all over the country and, you know, that killed or or mutilated a lot of people. Uh, But think of a guy who just sends drones to rent to, random individuals he dislikes online, you know, um, based on their social media profiles or, you know, whatever the people who didn't swipe right on him on Tinder. I don't know. Is it swipe right? Or, I don't know how Tinder works. I I'm just assuming. It's, yeah. I'm asking the wrong guy. Yeah. Right? I'm asking a priest and another married guy my age. So yeah. probably uh, you guys don't know either, but in any case, you yeah, you, met, you swipe the wrong way. And this guy ends up, you know, sending a, a drone to you. I mean, it's, it sounds scary, right? Or terrorist groups, you know, ISIS or Al Qaeda or, you know, whatever the, the terrorist groups are. It sounds scary. And, um, you know, we can speak against it morally from, you know, till, till, till kingdom come. But the fact is, is that it might not necessarily protect us from, from this sort of thing. So maybe what we really need is countermeasures is mm-hmm. we need exactly. our technologists to develop good countermeasures for this sort of thing of various kinds. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, I guess, uh, I, I get one of the things that we think, when I think about too, though, is what does it mean for it to be an autonomous weapon? How, auto- how independent does it, does a, uh, does it have to be to be considered autonomous? Um, you know, we often have we smart bombs, right? That the, uh, the pilot of a plane designates a target on the ground, releases it and flies away. And the bomb guides itself in. Is that an autonomous weapon? Uh, no, not that to our conventional definition, but in some ways it resembles it. So we need to get better at uh, identifying and defining some of these things too. Uh, what a world. <laughs> yeah. I'd be interested too, and, and also hearing what our, what our listeners have to say about this, because I know that there are going to be people who have a background in technology or, or the military and, and that sort of thing. And uh, it would definitely be good to, yeah, to hear from them because, like, like I said, I don't, I don't have any answers on this. It's, yep, it's something that it's not going to keep me up at night. But on the other hand, you know, it is another, you know, example of this this new world that we're we're living in. Uh, I think it's a testament to our uh, law enforcement and intelligence communities that this has not been an issue in the United yeah. States yet. Yeah. Uh, yep. Thank you to those hardworking men and women. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I hope it doesn't. And you know prayers that it doesn't become an issue anywhere because there it's it's a bigger topic for technology in general which is is we keep reaching these red lines in various places and you know where it's possible to do a thing now but we shouldn't do the thing now 
and we keep butting up against that. And, you know, nukes was one of those uh, areas where we walked over that line. Uh, There are other areas where hopefully we can stay from going over that line. Yeah, there's a lot of things those fine men and women do that we don't see and we don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've, uh, I've, I've known some people who worked in uh, law enforcement of various kinds and, uh, especially like including federal law enforcement too, who have said, Oh you, yeah, it's been close several times. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Well, without revealing anything, it's we've, we've been saved from bad things several times. Well, thank you, Jack Bauer. <laughs> yes. For, for, yeah, for, uh, suffering so much for each 24 hours. Uh, all right. So let's uh, now that we've given you that nightmare fuel, let's uh, move on. I want to first thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Esther R, Ron B, Damien M, Gene L and Chad M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So uh, our first headline that we're going to discuss is uh, kind of a follow-up from a story we talked about recently. Speaking of AI, uh, there was that Google engineer who claimed that their Lambda 2 AI had become sentient, and he publicized it, demanded that the AI be appointed an attorney to represent its interests, and so on and so forth. Well, Google suspended him initially. And, and and by the way, it was interesting that some of his uh, activism was based on his Christian beliefs. He believed that, that this AI had a soul now and uh, not conventional Catholic Christian belief, but, you know, he, but he has uh, an interesting Christian belief in that area. But, uh, but anyway, it, it turns out Google has now fired him. Blake Lemoyne is uh, unemployed. And uh, after, they they came right out and said, you know, we've this AI has is we do uh, so many reviews of the AI to make sure we're being ethical, to make sure we're doing the right thing. Uh, we've had ex- uh, outside experts and then a bunch of AI experts who aren't connected to Google at all have also come out and said, look, it's impossible for what this guy claims to be true. Given today's technology, we're nowhere near that point with AI technology and so on and so forth. So what do you all think of this, uh, Blake, getting his uh, walking papers? I mean, he violated company policy. That's <laughs> I mean, that's that's that. But yeah, that's so I mean, that's a pretty cut and dry, you know, case right there. But. Yeah, I mean, it is a very interesting question. I haven't been following this one super closely, but you know, I I, I don't know what sort of and and there are papers and stuff that that I'll I'll read through and stuff. But what sort of what sort of review do they? I mean, it it sounds so weird that we have to even think about this. It's like, yeah, so how do they determine if something that they've you know created in a lab, artificial intelligence wise, has gained sentience? You know, or or what do they? You know, what's their what's their you know yardstick? How do they measure that? Mm-hmm. And would would we trust them to come out and and say yes, we've created something sentient that now we have to you know treat ethically ethically, and we can't just keep you know experimenting on it or something? If that's even possible, you know. So would you would you trust a business you know to come out and say that without some sort of you know? And who would you come in to do the review? Would it be like you know priests, rabbis, philosophy professors, that sort of thing, or would it just be artificial intelligence experts who say like, no, it's just code, you know, and and it's you know it's like this kind of code. Mm. So it is it is an interesting uh, question there. I would be curious. I'd love to see what the panel is that 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 how it's made up because I think you should have philosophers and you know uh, religious uh, experts and that sort of thing involved. I think that would be interesting. Uh, my guess is if it if it became if it became sentient, somebody in the lab goes click, turn, hit the big red button, turn it off. <laughs> we're back. We're back to Cybermen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because most of the review that I've seen and like the the articles say like, well, it's this kind of you know program architecture and stuff. They're trying to just say you know it's it's like other programs we've seen, so there's no way it could be sentient. But I mean, you're you're looking at it you're just kind of asking like a biologist you know you know is is a dog sentient you know and and from the hardware you know you might not be able to to tell you know mm-hmm. you'd you'd have to you know ask the dog a bunch of questions um 
and and kind of <laughs> make your determination from there. But yeah, so it it is, you know, would would you trust you know a software developer to make you know quality of life decisions for for an artificial intelligence that was mm. potentially sentient? Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a toaster and stuff, right? But you know, I don't trust Google's ethicist to you know make that sort of determination at right. some point in the future. I mean, this gets to a philosophical question to begin with, right? Like, what does it mean to be alive or sentient? Yeah, what does it mean to be sentient? What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be human? Um, Is it even possible for a computer to possess um, those qualities? Right. And how how much of Blake's attitude and the rest of our attitudes is shaped by science fiction, too? You know, there are expectations and, you know, talking to the AI makes him think the movie her, you know, or whatever. It's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, but you, father, you make a good point, which is that we have to examine our definitions. And that's an important part of this process is how do you how do you determine whether something's sentient until you have a definition of what sentience is? And is it even possible for a computer? Does sentience require a soul? That's the philosophical question I ask. Right. And if if I say yes on that and it's the inf- affirmative, then there's no possible way a computer program could be sentient. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's every all living things have spirit. I mean, that's was like if you if you go by the uh, Thomistic definitions of things um and a computer can't have spirit or can it what mean what is spirit then you know i mean do we it it, i'm not a philosopher or theologian i'll ask jimmy aiken that next time we have a weird question show (laughs) and see what he says uh, because that (laughs) would be be interesting to hear from him yeah yeah maybe we should do an episode on ai and just the uh the ai sentience uh in the past he has been very clear that uh, he doesn't believe that AI is alive. It's a sophisticated toaster. And that's about it. Like data is a toaster is his catchword when we're talking about uh, Star Trek next generation, you know, that's, it's not alive. The the interesting question I would want to pose to him is even walking it back a step. um, Would you consider your dog sentient? Oh, we did that episode recently. Okay. <laughs> well, no, you we did. didn't do exactly that question, but we did talk about do do animals go to heaven? Uh, and that question, so that sort of comes close to a similar question. I don't think he, I don't think you would consider dogs to be sentient. Well, because that's really the question. What does sentient mean? Sentient exactly. means thinking. Dogs think, but I think we 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 look at it as ordered thinking, higher higher order thinking. Uh, self conceptions, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's a good point. Actually, I mean, there there are there are probably animals that are sentient. Dolphins are remarkably uh, self aware and clever. Um, other higher primates may also have a kind of sentience. Uh, so it's yeah, it, it's a good question. Do you have to be biological? Do you have to be made of meat to be sentient? Uh, the, these are some categories. I mean, frankly. I would love again. The Vatican has had some discussions on this topic of AI and life. Uh, I would love to see more of this. It's a, it's a very important question to be answered. Yeah, it's it's funny too because back you know when when I was going to school, the whole thing was like, well, you know, could a computer ever pass the Turing test? Where you know you have it, um, you know, in a, in a back room, you can't see if it's a person or a computer, and you're passing cards to it with questions, and it you know it's passing cards back to you. And at the point where it becomes indistinguishable, if you're talking to a computer or a person, that's when a computer has passed the Turing test, right? And then at, at that point, it, you 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 ascribe you know sentience or whatever else you want to it. But I think we've passed that like years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it, well, in fact, Google demonstrated a few years ago at their I/O conference where they had the uh, the AI calling to make appointments for people and. It was it was really remarkable. I'm not sure it could have held a conversation, a spontaneous conversation about any topic at hand. And I think that's really the the mark. It's 
it's it's indistinguishable within its parameters but is it is it a free thinker is it able to delve into other topics as they come up and that's really the mark of intelligence whatever became of that the google ai thing did they put the kibosh on that after the blowback it started talking to Blake Lemoyne and they had to turn it off. I don't know. <laughs> no, it, it's um, I, that's a good question. They, I mean, it was it, like a lot of tech companies, they demonstrate these, these technologies. And then there was, I think there was, there was pushback on it at the time because people felt like that was sort of deceptive to the person on the other end of the phone, that they think they're talking mm-hmm. to a human being that, you know, ethically should people be let made aware that they're not talking to another human being in a in a conversation is that ethical and i think those questions made google kind of pause on should we be doing this uh, the fact is is there are unethical uses of this sort of speech technology in use where you know you, sometimes you do end up talking to a, a bot or a computer whether it's you know on a on a website when you're looking for uh, tech support or on the phone and you know you're not sure whether it's a person or a machine sometimes uh it's a person really bored at their job who's not really responsive <laughs> but you know it's uh so i think that these are questions that we were struggling with is the again the the red what's the red line you know where do, where do we draw that line and how do we how, you know how do we approach the use of these technologies in our everyday life it's a good question and i will put in a plug here for a 1981 science fiction book i read called project pope by uh, Clifford uh, Simak. And it's a, it's a book where it's far future. Um, the Catholic Church is still around, but all the cardinals and, and priests and stuff are largely robots that have been <laughs> created. And so they revere both God and man as, as their creator and stuff. And they're on a quest to create the, the, the most comprehensive and complete pope that ever existed and by you know collecting all the knowledge of the universe and putting it into this giant AI. And that's their that's going to be the the pope for this uh for this you know <laughs> robotic and then and then they also have uh they also have a, they're also searching for heaven as well the the robots are so it's it's an interesting book if you like 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 late 70s early 80s uh sci-fi wow. that's trippy yeah. i don't i don't want to read that that's <laughs> just scary it's, it's pretty it's pretty lighthearted and stuff and it's there's there's you know <laughs> theological debates between you know the cardinals and and you know a, Wasn't there a, a robot the pope in Futurama? There was a robot pope in Futurama, and there was the the papal mainframe in Doctor Who. And I'm and I have to think the papal mainframe came from this book. Some in some I way. I forgot about that. Yes, the yeah. army. You could be you could be a colonel in the uh, papal army, Father Son. <laughs> so uh, let's move on. As as I think we've strayed from our yeah. topic yes. there. Uh, let's talk about. So uh, Apple, because one of my favorite topics, and uh, their new car software that they demonstrated at the Worldwide Developers Conference back in June. And at the time, I said, this seems to me to be more than just Apple talking about an upgrade to CarPlay. This is Apple making a statement about what it sees as part of its future, which is to be in cars. And so this article from CNBC agrees and says uh, Apple's new car software could be a Trojan horse into the automotive industry uh, where they're, you know, they tell, they say that um, a lot of these car companies are in a difficult position. Um, uh, surveys show that most car U S car buyers only want a car if it has it supports car play. And meanwhile, do they, do the car makers offer car play and give up potential revenue and control over the look and feel and of the, of the car, the interface of the car say, or do they develop their own infotainment software system and, uh, you know, try to convince the consumers that no, no, ours is better. Uh, and meanwhile, there's this a little thing out there that Apple may be is probably and definitely going to be developing its own car in the not too distant future as well. Uh, so you know, what do you all think of this, this interesting idea that this is Apple's Trojan horse into a new industry? Yeah. So I work in the auto industry and I have to preface that preface uh, this by saying that all opinions are my own. They don't represent uh, the company I work for or, or anything, but you know, it is, it is a concern, you know, generally in the industry that 
especially as you move to electric vehicles and then ultimately autonomous vehicles, the vehicle itself becomes just pretty much a commodity. You know, there's not a lot that differentiates one particular vehicle from from another one. When you have, you know, an electric powertrain, you have a certain number of seats in it. You know, that's outside styling, maybe a little bit different, but um, pretty much the vehicle itself increasingly becomes a commodity. And so then what does differentiate your product is the uh, the experience that um, your customers have with the vehicle, you know, as they you know approach it inside the vehicle in particular, um, and that sort of thing. And so it it is uh, you know Apple is definitely making a play to own that experience inside the vehicle with those customers, and that's where increasingly you know the value to anybody making a vehicle, um, you know, in terms of both revenue, you know, the interactions with the customers um is going to is going to be so yeah apple doesn't need to make a vehicle of their own if they can take over that customer experience inside the vehicle they've you know that's basically you know they've 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 won at that point and so the challenge is you know can automakers create a differentiated experience you know while also integrating you know carplay or android auto as well, and it's it's definitely a real uh, a real challenge there. But um, people seem to really like the the CarPlay experience, and um, you know it's very well integrated with with their devices that they bring into the car. So where automakers can differentiate and and you know get some of that experience back is how well does their own HMI or experience you know integrate with the vehicle itself, since they're the ones making the vehicle their experience can, you know, kind of give access to other uh, features in the vehicle that that CarPlay can't or, um, you know, is, are, are there other areas of the customer's life that that it can interact with, you know, a smart home or something like that. But it is it is a, you know, definitely a new challenge, both for uh, tech companies and automakers. I'm going to be the negative Nancy here. Um, <laughs> two words, planned obsolescence. You go obsolete with a car, just like you do with an iPhone. You're planning the updates. I'm no longer going to support the 2012 models now, right? It's been 10 years. And so all of a sudden, you're going to have features of a car that aren't supported anymore. Um, And we get that problem that I have a car now that could probably have 100,000 more miles on it, but I have to trade it in because the software's not supported anymore. Well, that actually well this brings to mind $18 <laughs> car seat warmers uh, from BMW, $18 a month. But um, but this also brings to mind another story I read about on Twitter the, uh, this week, which is sort of related about Tesla. Uh, so uh, I'll try to tell it as quick as I can. So this guy bought a used Tesla. It was a Tesla Model S 90, I think is what he bought it as. Uh, it was a 2013. It had a couple owners before him, and the first owner bought it as a Tesla Model S 60. 60 and 90 are the designations for ba- battery capacity. So the higher the number, the larger the battery capacity, the better the range. It's a more expensive feature, okay? So the first owner had a warranty problem with the battery pack. They Tesla swapped it out, put it, they took out the 60. All they had was a 90, so they put a 90 in. And they rebadged the car as a 90. This is, I think this is the key aspect of it. So fast forward several years, the, this current owner now has it. He's like the third owner of, of the car. And he takes it in for uh, an, a firmware upgrade or something, because this is what we do with cars now. And <laughs> in the process, he gets a message from Tesla. We found a misconfiguration in your vehicle and it fixed it. They fixed it by changing it back to a Model 60. They've basically taken the range of the vehicle and cut it by a third. And just by a software update that they reached into the car while it was sitting in his driveway and turned it off. And he said, you can't do that. I I want that back. I bought this car as a 90. It says 90 on it. You made it a 90. And they said, we'll give it back to you if you pay us $4,500. We sold that feature to the original owner. Not to you. You so we, we sold him a license oh, yeah. to that to that ability. You need to buy a license for yourself. 
this is the the crazy aspect of what, kind of what we're looking at with cars that are all about software more than they are about hardware. And that's that's one of the things uh, I think that's a bad uh, finger shake wag at, at the uh, at Tesla for that one, because that's because because I think the key here is they badged it a 90. They turned that car into a Model S 90. Uh, and so they I don't think you, they can just turn around and walk that back. But uh, regardless, it's an interesting look into a potential future for in some ways yeah and that does i mean that does bring up the whole concept of ownership versus are you just leasing everything that you that you use your your home your your transportation your entertainment and uh yeah how about it it's a car right we all you buy a car and, and the model in everybody's mind is, is that you, you own the features that the car has, right. And that they're not going to take mm-hmm. things away from you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, that, that would, that would definitely be a, a, a finger wag uh, in that case. And hopefully there's a way to resolve it. And, and, but I can't only imagine like the Kafka S night nightmare you'd have to go through to talk to the right person to, you know, and it's right there in the car too. I mean, so are, are we going to see people, you know, hackers like, yeah, hackers and citizens, you know, heroes and stuff. Um, you know, wouldn't necessarily call them heroes, but you know, the, like, uh, Robert De Niro's character in the movie Brazil, who, you know, aren't supposed to be fixing people's air conditioner, but he'll, you know, rappel down into your apartment and fix your air conditioner when, when no one else will, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. Again, you, you kind of look ahead to where these things are going and, and you can kind of, yeah, either, either sign on or, or not, I suppose. Yeah. It makes you long for the days when, you know, shade your mechanic, you could, you know, rebuild your carburetor, you know, in your, in your garage and the car would just keep running forever. As long as you, as long as the mechanicals pieces worked and you had access to, to more mechanical pieces. Uh, it's a different world. The, the, in fact, that Twitter thread was posted by a guy who's a, basically like a Tesla hacker. He, he hacks the vehicles on behalf of people who own them to fix things that Tesla won't fix or will charge an arm or leg to fix. And he says he could turn the feature back on, but Tesla could just turn it back off again. Like, unless you, you break something and thus lose other features, then, you know, you're kind of stuck. But so he's, so I don't know what, you know, what this guy is eventually going to do. Is he going to pony up to 4,500 or just be happy with a, you know, a, a shorter range, but uh, it feels a little bit like Tesla's cutting off their nose to spite their face in this case. Um, they don't, they don't lose yeah. anything by letting the guy have the longer range that he already had. And at what point do you just give somebody the car for free, right? And then charge them the subscription for, you know, ignition on off is you know, $200 <laughs> a month or something. You know? <laughs> I mean, in a way, you know, that's probably, it's, yeah. it's sort of what we did with phones for a while there, right? We, Phones yep. were basically free, and we they made it back on service, and uh, and we we might be going there with with cars. Like you could pay five hundred bucks a month for a car, or you could be given a car and pay two hundred bucks a month for the license to drive it. You know that's. Mm. <laughs> I'm not giving anyone any ideas. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, let's move on. This is a real dystopian episode we're talking about here, but uh, let's let's get to something that's really a, a good use of technology. All right, this is happy. It's this, morphin time. Yeah, yes, it's more. It's morphin time. Hasbro will put your face on a Power Ranger or Black Panther or Spider Man or a Mandalorian for sixty bucks. That's right. Uh, Hasbro has a new product that they're coming out where they will three D print your face onto an action figure of your choice uh, of within a range of different action figures, of course. Um, So that you could be a ghostbuster GI Joe, star Wars, Marvel figure, power Rangers. And this is with a, they have a, this partnership with a a company called form labs, which has figured out a way to scan and 3d print uh, in mass quantities, individual heads, essentially uh, that, uh, that, you know, individual body parts, but heads is what we're looking at here. Um, so uh, kind of cool. Would, is this something you guys would do? Oh. What's our over under on Father Andrew Kinstetter purchasing the Boba Fett one? Uh, 
I think the it's a hundred percent. I'm going to buy it for him. What are you kidding me? I want <laughs> this is Father Andrew's Christmas present. Uh, he's definitely getting a Mandalorian with a Father Andrew head. That's for sure. <laughs> I was I was skeptical until I saw the Ghostbusters, and now somebody gave me like four hundred dollars so I can make my whole family as <laughs> Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah, this is a really really cool idea, and you know, sixty dollars is probably about you know right for a niche collectible product mm-hmm. like this. When I was uh, much younger, I collected uh GI Joe, the little three and a quarter or three and a half inch, however tall they were the GI Joe figurines. And at one point they had a promotion where if you sent in like, you know, so many GI Joe proofs of purchase, you could get a custom action figure. But of course it was an action figure that had a mask on over its head. And the only thing that was kind of custom was about it was they would give you a special card that had the name you'd chosen. And like, you know, that <laughs> the GI Joe's, and I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world when I was, I don't know how old I was, like 10 or 11. And, and so I'm, yeah, this is, I mean, I, I don't want to show this to my, to my younger kids because they're going through a Ghostbusters phase right now. And, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the faces, I mean, they, you know, they're, they look pretty cool. What, I mean, I, I think it'd be cooler if maybe they like cartooned them up a little bit more to make them, I don't know, look more action figure but they, but at that point you lose the, uh, the, the resemblance. Yeah. 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 Does the Power Ranger one have the flipping head that morphs? Because <laughs> that's the important thing for me. Yeah. Well, did they come with the helmets? Like you can put it on over your head. That's, I mean, that's. Yeah. The, the fake, the figurines back when they had the Power Ranger action figures, uh-huh. the belt buckle was a button and you oh, right. hit it and it's head flipped. Right. Right. The head would flip around. Yeah. Um, yeah, I look. I mean, it. They. It looks like you can be like from Star Wars. You can be a Mandalorian, a stormtrooper, an X-wing pilot, or rebel princess. I don't know if that's all of the options, or they're just the ones they showed in this particular graphic. But uh, you know, there's also Black Panther, Black Widow, Spider Man, Iron Man, uh, two different Ghostbusters, and then GI Joe, Snake Eyes, and Scarlet. Which is interesting that we don't have any actual Joes. We have the bad guys, right? And uh, and then no, Red Snake Eyes is. Is good, I think, right? Is he the guy? It was, uh, yeah, it was the white ninja. Um, Storm Shadow, no, Storm Shadow, right? Was oh, was bad. I, I, I think I Scarlet to, was good as well. Yeah, I have to admit my my ignorance because uh, I, I I missed the GI Joe generation there, uh, but for myself. But in any case, uh, they do the head and the hair separately, which is interesting. So they'll do they'll model your hair uh, or lack thereof for some of us. Uh, <laughs> and uh, can it be cheaper? Then that's actually an interesting yeah, question. I, I want a discount. Yeah, five, <laughs> not five dollars off. I want to be Mace Windu. privilege. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, man, it it it's real. And I mean, I just I'd lo- I would love to see these three D printers at work here because they have a picture in the article we're going to share where it's you know it's, yeah. it shows it's uh, the print head's got like a whole bunch of them on it, and let's get the a bunch of the things with the hair on it and the various the the creepy strands that the three D printers have to make in order to support the uh, the the print. Uh, you, you take a look at it and see what I mean. It's, it looks kind of like ugh, like a horror movie until they clean it up. <laughs> And I guess you could make you could make dolls of anyone, right? That's the other thing too, is I suppose you could well you could make a black widow that looked like everybody. We're wanted. going into an episode of Big Bang Theory now. If you watch <laughs> yeah, that. Is it? No, I haven't seen it. Well, the the uh, the the key here is is you have to scan your face using an uh the Hasbro app. Oh, so okay. so they ha- you have to have a special selfie series account and you have to do the the 3D mapping using the camera which all uh, they they oh, okay. uh, the you know uses the lidar and stuff like I forget what it's called the f- it's not technically photogrammetry because we, we actually got corrected on that. Thank you for that, uh, for that correction, uh, for the listener who corrected us. But uh, it's not technically photogrammetry, but it's that idea of using LIDAR and the various sensors to map a 3D map of your head and then you upload it. So maybe, you know, if you wanted to get one for your wife and as a surprise, you do it while she's sleeping, which would be really creepy uh, so maybe maybe that's a, a, enough of a way to keep it from uh, we're, we're not we're not condoning that um. no no don't do that um but yeah it would be hard to do it as like a surprise for your kids hey hey sit still i'm gonna scan you don't ask why uh but you know well we'll see how that goes uh anyway it starts in september i think is what what they said and so you'll you'll be able to drop your 60 bucks plus tax Right in time for my birthday. There you go. Me too. So, uh, 
The in our last headline is uh, this one that you shared, Father. Uh, and it's, I've seen it everywhere now. If uh, we're sharing it, uh, chess robot in Russia broke a seven-year-old's finger during a tournament. Like talk about dystopian autonomous vehicle weapons. Uh, um, no, what this is is. Uh, there was a tournament, and they and as a lot of these tournaments, they have they had a gimmick of a what it turned out to be an industrial robot. This is, you know, the type of thing you see them building cars with that sort of thing. Um, and it was playing chess against three opponents at once, including the seven year old. And it, it, in the midst of a turn, the kid reached in to touch his piece, and the robot didn't. It didn't reach out for him. It was in the middle of doing something, grabbed his finger, and it he ended up breaking the kid's finger. Um, and the kid continued playing. So you know, power to him. Yeah. Um, that's one, tough, tough Russian kids. Uh, so, so what do y'all think of this uh, dystopian Russian killer chess robots? Uh, just you know, Chewbacca doesn't like losing. Yeah. <laughs> Not wise to lose to a Wookiee or, yes. or, or yeah. The don't beat a Wookiee, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things the article talks about is that you know, w- when they have these sort of robotic chess playing robots, they're supposed to have sensors to sense when someone enters into the space, the workspace of the robot. This one didn't. And so they said it's a bit, mm-hmm. it, was, it was kind of um, irresponsible of the people operating the robot in the first place. I'm also wondering the responsibility of, you know, generally we talk about operating machinery and I would consider this operating machinery. And so in a real way, you are having a seven year old operate a piece of machinery. Um, And so there's a lot of irresponsibility in that of the people who are putting on that tournament to begin with that a seven year old is doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they said the kid violated the rule, the safety rules. He wasn't supposed to. Uh, do you, did you know seven-year-olds? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't walk over the edge of the cliff, okay? Okay, Daddy. <laughs> I mean, in the same way, you could say a seven-year-old violated the safety procedures of a lawnmower or pistol. Right? right. You don't let them play with it. Yeah, it, 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 I guess it comes down to like you know, did did his parents sign a waiver? Right, but probably no, it, it, probably different. <laughs> Civil uh, you know, Russia, tort. Russia. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Russia. It's like yeah, <laughs> it's Soviet Russia. A shot of vodka. <laughs> In Soviet <laughs> Union, robots play you. <laughs> you. Yeah. Cueing all your Yakov Shmurov <laughs> jokes. Yeah. In America, you knock over chess pieces. <laughs> In, In Soviet Russia. Russia, chess robot knock over you. Yeah. <laughs> and cue all our terrible Russian accents. Yeah. Uh, so. The 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 big thing is is that yeah the kid apparently violated the safety rules but the fact is is uh, as the article says robots yeah. should not operate blind uh, that's just yeah not a thing it, it was pretty shady whatever you know yeah <laughs> uh, it, it's I mean it, it's it's the funny thing is is that this got huge play all over the world because it's you know robot breaks seven year old's finger you know I mean that's just gonna get all, all kinds of play <laughs> but the fact is it's a yeah. it's a fairly mundane uh, story about an industrial accident. Essentially, yeah, I've I got my fingers slammed in you know sliding van doors you know in the eighties. Oh you yes, yeah. I mean you don't you don't see that as front page news like car <laughs> eats finger or something. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, mom drives off with the kid's finger in the door. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. what about the auto shutting doors though? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Do they? I mean, I don't have the auto shutting doors, but uh, do they? Are they are they sensitive enough to stop when there's a finger in the door? I, I, I'm I gonna guess so, there's yeah. some sort of sensor. I would hope like so. It, I mean, yeah, your garage doors have those sensors in them. I'm gonna guess there's some sort of sensor. Um, yeah. If we have a soccer mom listening, they can let us know. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna guess the early ones didn't. <laughs> All right, those are our headlines this week. Uh, let's move on to our picks of the week. And Victor, you are up first. Yeah. So. Um... We have Nintendo Switch is in our house, and um, anybody who's used a Nintendo Switch uh, for any period of time knows that the joysticks in the Joy-Con, the little controllers that come bundled with the Nintendo Switch, eventually will start to, and this is after, you know, hundreds of hours of of playing with them, but if you have kids, you know, you get to that pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
um, they'll they'll start to drift, and it and it just has to do with the uh, you know taking apart enough of them inside. There's a couple you know sensors or little you know analog switches or dials inside of them, and um, they you know the ones in there because there's so much stuff packed into a Joy-Con like infrared sensors, you know motion sensors, accelerometers, and you know near field communications things. Um, they'll eventually start to to go bad and. You can send them to Nintendo and they're pretty prompt about, you know, fixing them and sending them back. Or you can buy new ones, which is very cost prohibitive. But there are kits on Amazon um, where for around $5 per joystick or sometimes even a little less, they'll send you a kit with replacement joysticks. And then all the tools that you need to um, open up your little controller and, and, you know, take out the one that's in there. And there's just a couple little ribbon you know connectors that you disconnect and pop them in and stuff but what's really cool about these kits at least to me is is the uh the tools that come with them because you get some pretty cool phillips screwdrivers and little special triangle head screwdrivers and sponger tools and stuff so you know it, it's 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 a it's a fun project to do with with the kids it takes about 10 minutes but if you do have a nintendo switch and your controllers are you know your your character's just kind of walking off in a random direction on their own an Animal Crossing or whatever, uh, you can usually replace the joysticks. They don't last uh, as long as the Nintendo branded ones. So, you know, in, in every couple hundred hours or whatever, you might be replacing them. But for $5, a replacement, it's not a big deal usually. Mm. Did Nintendo actually make the Switch that it was easily repairable or is it a... Um, the controllers, the controllers are, I mean, it's, it's, you know, three screws to get, I think, get the case off, then a, a couple more screws. And you can, you know, take the battery out of the controllers and just kind of disassemble it layer by layer. The switch itself, if I needed to replace a battery or, or a screen on it, you can do it. There are replacement screens that you can buy, but um, it's a little bit more of an of an ordeal. I like the pictures they used to illustrate the Amazon on Amazon. It's like, was someone chewing on the Joy-Con? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even like, see those. It's damaged. You have to replace yeah. them now. It's like, gosh, what are you yeah. doing to the thing? <laughs> yeah. Maybe the dog got it or something. Anyway, that, that's a good, that's good. Actually, I like. I love the idea of uh, a little bit of do it yourself and also saving some money and not having to send it off to, uh, to Nintendo and a nice project to do with the kids. Very good idea. Awesome. All right, Father Joseph, you're next. What is your pick this week? Well, my pick of the week kind of has to do with um, moving recently. Um, I'm at a new set of parishes now. Um, and as moving into the rectory, um, it's an older house. So we've been slowly replacing old light switches, old outlets, all of that stuff. Um, and came across the Lutron Caseda, I think is how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's a smart light switches basically um and so there's a hub that you hook up to your router is the main piece um and then the switches you can i think you can do up to like 90 switches or something on one oh, hub yeah. um yeah. and so the one that i linked comes with the kit comes with your um hub and two two dimmer switches um, I think in our house right now, the pastor had set it up a little bit before um, I was there, but I've helped him add on to it a little bit. Um, and I think we have about 20 switches running on it right now. Um, and nice. just it's a works real well. Easy setup. Um, the switches themselves do not rely on Wi-Fi. They rely on some different radio communication that they do to the hub. Yeah. 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 And so that's that's nice because you're not relying on internet connection for those switches to work with the hub. Right. Um and so if your internet goes down, your switches aren't completely out. Um and also um yeah, so I've been very impressed with it. Um the tie-in with um Alexa is a little wanting. A lot of that smart home stuff with Alexa is sometimes a little iffy, but it does work with Alexa and Google Home and uh, in uh, HomeKit, uh, so that's nice. The I if I were to do my smart home stuff over again, I would probably do this instead of the bulbs 
Because mm-hmm. that's basically the two ways you can go with smart home lighting. You can either have bulb, smart bulbs or smart switches. Uh, and I, the thing is, is with the smart bulbs, you end up putting smart switches, you know, like the, the, the remote controls everywhere anyway. Uh, but I would have, if, if I could do it again, I would, I would go with the, uh, the, the, the cassetta switches because it's a, it's a much simpler situation and you don't have to train people to, you know, get now be sure not to switch off the wall switch. Make sure you only do the special switch and all that other stuff. This way it's just, you know, people know how to work a wall switch and that's, you know. And also what's nice about these is, um, they can turn your single pole switches into dimmer switches. Yeah. So you don't need to have a special dimmer switch um, for it to work. Um, right. The one problem I have had um, and one that you, if you're um, not skilled with electrical work, you might have to have an electrician do is if you have a lot of three-way switches, um, yeah. turning those to single pole can sometimes be a little more complicated. That's right. um, than just two wires. Yeah. It also works in, for older homes because it doesn't require a neutral wire like a lot. That's of correct. Uh, um, oh, that's and, cool. Yeah. And the box is just the size for the older homes. Ours is a 1960 build, um, and it fits inside those smaller boxes. It's snug, but it does yeah. fit. That's yeah. Good. Yeah, I've, I use much cheaper uh, Z-Wave switches because I have a you know smart thing Z-Wave hub. And uh, that is, it does require a neutral wire. So you have to have the white wire and the switches themselves are a little bulkier. And so, you know, you're like, get in there. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've, I've had no issues with them, but if, yeah, if I was starting from scratch, you know, even though it's a proprietary system, you know, Lutron's a really good, really good brand yeah, with a really good history of yep. lighting and, and stuff. So yeah. Looking into the proprietary thing, um, Spoiler for future pick, but I have to play with a little bit. There's an open source project that runs on Raspberry Pi called Home Assistant. Oh, I have um, that. Yep. And it can tie the, all those in. So I'm going to play with that a little bit over the next couple months and see if I can um, get those proprietary things to go together. Have you uh, have you played around with Node Red yet? No, I have not. <laughs> that will you are going to probably lose. Many, many hours of your life and not in a bad way to Node Red, because one of the things that runs Node Red is a uh, visual object oriented kind of scripting environment for automation. And it runs within Home Assistant on your Raspberry Pi. So you go to the web interface for Home Assistant, you go to your Node Red tab, and basically all of your switches and stuff are little nodes that you can connect and then wire up with like little conditional statements and it's all visual and you can move it around and stuff. And uh, there's a there's a project that a bunch of French people are are doing to create their own spinning version of the original Stargate life size, you know, lights up, spins and everything. And I noticed in one of their live streams as they're building it, that they're using Node Red to do all the the scripting for it and stuff. So very powerful. Yeah, it's it's I yeah, if I had time, I would. Yeah, it's it's very cool. I think uh, with the next next year, because there's, there's big stuff coming in ho- smart home automation this fall with the with the release of Matter, which is a new protocol that interoperates mm. among all the big ones. Uh, but we need to revisit smart home tech again. We did yeah. an, ep- an episode on smart home tech a while ago, and I think it's time to come back and look at it and see how things have changed and what so- sort of things are doing. Uh, I picked I have a future pick of the week that uh, came in the mail today uh, that I'll talk about, which is from Akara, which is a great inexpensive set of stuff but uh i'm doing some fun stuff with that uh sensors is i'll just give you a sneak peek sensors and just (laughs) to make this small disclaimer when talking about light switches as a podcast we do not recommend doing your own electrical work (laughs) yeah (laughs) do not do you know do not do your own electrical work that is for sure uh all right my pick of the week is another one of my little uh mac menu bar items and this is the mac menu bar item to to end them all in fact it's a little bit of media it's a mac menu bar control Uh, it's called bartender Bartender 4 is the latest uh, version of it. And what it does is it's it, it, a couple things it does. But the, the, the basic thing it does is it cleans up your menu bar, especially if you're on a smaller computer like a MacBook. You've only got so much uh, menu bar space. And you know, all those little programs that end up in the menu bar, starting from the right and heading to the left, 
they end up clogging the whole thing up and then you open up an, an app and it's got you know, the, all the stuff coming from the left and they collide the middle and you start losing stuff and you can't access your things. Well, what this does is it allows you to set up so that it, it, there are a couple different interfaces that you can do. You can either have a drop down or hide things. And so it will hide some or all of the menu bar items. I do some until you hover above it. And I have a 27 inch screen uh, with uh, uh, in front of me here. And when I hover over it, bartender reveals it, it literally goes all the way across. Like it's <laughs> the entire <laughs> menu bar is filled with little icons for all the programs I'm running. Yeah, I know I have a problem. So it's, but it's really useful like that. And it also does a few other things. Like for example, when, if a, uh, an app is active and needs your attention. It can, you can have it set to pop up onto the, if it's hit, usually hidden, it pops up to reveal it as, as it needs to get your attention, that sort of thing. So uh, bartender four, it's, if you are a subscriber to set app, which is the software, it's sort of like Netflix for Mac software. If you are a subscriber to net to set app, it's in there, or you can buy oh. it for, for $16. Uh, all right. Now, does it play well with the notch in the MacBook oh, Air screen? Yes. In fact, it has special notch features where it will go around the notch or or drop stuff under the notch uh, as you as you desire. Mm. So it does. That's cool. That's yeah, cool. The, as soon as the notch showed up, the programmer got to work and like very soon he had a beta of the uh, of the you know, working with the notch. So definitely. Uh, he's on on top of things, so it's a yeah. I it's one of those things. There's a handful of pieces of software that I I cannot live without on my Mac, and this is one of them. It it, it just it's fantastic. I like how it's wearing a tuxedo. Yes, it's very. It goes along with my other app, which is Alfred. So you know, <laughs> although it does kind of look very like the bartender. Apps, yeah. it, the bartender in the uh, the Outlook Hotel in uh, The Shining. It's got a little <laughs> bit of that going on, so that's a little creepy. I might have to add this to my other essential of magnet. Oh, yes. There are a, a couple um windows. I I use a couple of different windowing uh window management apps, but uh but yeah, I know magnet as well. Um excellent. So, that does it for us. We we would love to hear what you think of any part of our discussion tonight. Uh it's including on the killer robot thing. We'd, I'd love to hear especially from those of you who have uh, experience with AI or military or anything like that in those areas. We would love to hear from you. You can comment on the show at sqpn.com/technology or the Starquest Facebook page facebook.com/starquestmedia. Send an email to technology@sqpn.com. Or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You'll find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. It really helps us a lot when you write a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you can at any of the podcast directories. And to share the podcast with your friends, that helps us grow our community and reach more listeners. We'd like to thank James for his research assistance in this episode. And until next time, Victor Lambs, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. Father Joseph Sun, thank you as well. You will be assimilated. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. Quest.